Our second lesson today comes from the Gospel according to Luke, and I'm reading from the 12th chapter. I'm reading from verse 49, almost to the end of the chapter, but not quite. Listen as we um, hear Jesus' words for us this day. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what I... What stress I am under until it is completed. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son. And son against father. And mother against daughter. And daughter against mother. mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. And daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it's going to rain. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So often when we hear and reflect on Jesus and Jesus' message, we hear Jesus saying in inviting tones, come and follow, come and follow me. We hear him remind us that he comes from God, that he comes to embody God's full presence among us, that he comes to love and heal and help and calls us to love and heal and help. This is the Christian life to which he calls us. Jesus tells us to live with faith and gratitude. He heals the sick. He helps the suffering. He says that in his person and work, the kingdom of God has come near. He reaches out to the needy and to the lost, bringing hope and joy to the world. And as we follow Jesus, this is what we're to be about, bringing hope and joy to the city of Richmond and to the whole world. The tone and message of Jesus often appeals to us. It engages us. It reminds us, yes, that's it. That is the point of life. It's about God. And it's about loving God and loving neighbor. And we want to be a part of it. So we seek to listen and learn from Jesus. We join Jesus' community. We seek to grow in faith. We seek to encourage each other on the journey. Support each other as the great cloud of witnesses. And we seek to follow Jesus, move from membership to discipleship even. And then we encounter a passage like this one from Luke 12. And I've entitled this sermon, Jesus the Homewrecker. The passage is definitely not Jesus in calm and gentle tones inviting us to casually participate in the Jesus movement. In fact, it's way more than loving God and loving others. We're so uncomfortable with these passages that we seldom talk honestly about them. In my 26 years as a pastor, I have never preached on this passage. Maybe that's a statement about me, But I think it's also a statement about the church and what we in the church prefer to hear about. 
to be motivated, to be moved to faithfulness and following Jesus. You know what? We prefer family values to family divisions, which is what this passage is about. We prefer sound relationships all around us, not the idea that families will be busted up. Father against son, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, on and on. In fact, we may know enough about those tensions within our families, and they're enough complicated that we don't need them more complicated by Jesus, right? From my experience, what family doesn't struggle enough with relationships? All the mother-in-law jokes are so prevalent because they, you know what? They touch a nerve. Like this one. A woman was told by her doctor that she had only six months to live. She decided to move in with her mother-in-law. Because living with her for six months would seem like forever. (laughs) See, there are lots of jokes like that. You know them. And they point to the inherent tensions that we know about. So we're not sure what to do when Jesus' words remind us that discipleship might mean more and worse tensions within our families. Jesus says households will be divided. Three against two. Two against three. He also says we're so good at reading the signs of the weather. The clouds come up from the west and we know it's going to rain. Or when the south wind blows, it'll bring scorching heat. Now he's talking about uh, coming from the Mediterranean in Israel or coming up from the Negev desert. And it presents certain weather patterns. We're really good at reading the weather, but we're not good at reading the real message, the important message that Jesus is giving. So what's Jesus getting at here? What is he getting at? And it's not just here, in this passage. There are lots of passages like this. Jesus has torn apart family values in many places in the Gospels. Like Jesus' invitation to Peter and his brothers to leave their nets and come and follow Jesus on the road with him. That had to have been hard on those first century parents who were expecting their fishermen kids to take care of them as they got older. Jesus also said, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. That's from Luke chapter 14, and that's harsh. To a grieving man who asked permission to give his dad a decent burial, in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus said, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And when the disciples told Jesus that your mother and brothers are outside asking for you, Jesus replied, who? Anyone who does my will is part of my family. And there are others, too. What's Jesus getting at with all this home wrecking, family divisions? Jesus is focused on one thing, one thing. Jesus is focused on mission and life that points to the kingdom of God. 
We get uncomfortable if his words and his mission run against family values and other things we cherish, like our money or our possessions. And sometimes within our families, with, when certain family members get so zealous in their faith and it begins to alienate us even, even as we try to be faithful in our own Christian walk, but alienated for our more, more Christian family members, we wonder how in the world Jesus could condone that. Aren't self-righteousness and arrogance traits that Jesus condemns most, we wonder? In talking about this particular passage from Luke chapter 12, preacher and professor Fred Craddock says this, Jesus is the crisis of the world. Crisis doesn't mean emergency. But that moment, that occasion of truth, that decision about life. God is so acting in the world in Jesus that a crisis is created. Jesus invites us. Jesus expects us. Jesus calls us. Jesus challenges us. Jesus demands that we give our attention to God. That we think about our lives and how we're living before God. We cannot just carry along casually. We, the coming reign of God has come in Jesus. It has been thrust upon us and thrust upon the world. We're called to be a part of it. Jesus matters. What we do matters. How we live with God and trust and serve, that matters. And it matters very much. We cannot just be lulled into indifference. We cannot just be lukewarm in our faithfulness. We cannot simply get caught up in family life, as important as that is. Jesus, the Son of God, the essence of God, has come among us to give us life. We are invited to follow. And that following calls for moving out of the status quo out of our casual existence of tending to whatever is before us. That calling invites us to recognize what is important, and it's the presence and it's the purposes of Jesus. We are to align our lives there in allegiance and loyalty and love following Jesus. That's what's going on in this passage. You may have heard the name John Patton. John Patton was a Scottish preacher and missionary. He spent almost all of his life, which encompassed most of the 1800s, serving as a missionary in the New Hebrides in the South Pacific. One of his projects was to translate the New Testament into the indigenous language of the people in the New Hebrides in the South Pacific. But there was a snag. There was no word for believe in the people's language. In the midst of his work, one of the natives came into Patton's study and draped himself over a chair. He stretched his legs over the chair. He rested his arms on another chair. He relaxed and he commented how good it felt to lean his whole weight on those chairs. Immediately, Patton knew He had the word he would use for believe. Lean your whole weight on. 
This is what Jesus keeps trying to get at all through the Gospels. He doesn't want our casual interest. He doesn't want our admiration. He doesn't want us to just fit him into some sliver of life among all the other slivers that we try to manage all through the week. We keep living our worldly lives and so little about us, perhaps, reveals that we're really disciples of Jesus. No, Jesus keeps working on this. That we might be changed. Changed from the inside out even. Transformed to become the people, the disciples that we were made to be. Yes, Jesus asks and keeps asking that we lean with our whole weight on him. That means heart and soul and mind and strength. He's already said that. That means giving Jesus our loyalty and our lives. He said that many times. Even beyond our family and our family values, especially if those things become barriers to loving and serving and trusting in God's presence and purposes for us and for the world. Indeed, while our, while our biological families are very important, Jesus' real interest is in a new family, the family of God, the family of humanity, not based on genetic kinship, but rather on the gracious, barrier-breaking summons of God to follow. And live life toward the light and the love and the joy and the peace and the purposes of God that are for us and all people everywhere. Jesus' life and ministry is to form a new family, a new kingdom even, that surpasses all others and encompasses the whole world. Here's another way to put it. The Jesus of the Gospels cares far too much about us to leave us right where we are. The Jesus of the Gospels, and certainly this challenging passage today, will not let us worship affluence as inclined as we are to do that. The Jesus of the Gospels will not let us get by with our appearances, which we're so good at. And the Jesus of the Gospels will not ever let us stand on our achievements. For those who wish to protect those things, affluence, appearance, achievement, it's best not to take Jesus too seriously. Keep him on the side. Instead, Jesus keeps calling us, demanding from us, Asking of us our very lives, our whole lives in faithful devotion. To give Jesus our whole life, well, that puts us close to God and close to God's purposes for eternal life. And it just might move us away from our families and many other aspects of life that we leave center stage. Jesus has more and better intentions for us. We're invited to lean with all our weight on him. Southern Baptist preacher and scholar Clarence Jordan lived in Georgia. And he started an interracial farming community in 1942 called Koinonia. You may have heard of it. It was there at Koinonia 
that Millard Fuller came for a retreat and the idea of Habitat for Humanity emerged. Before Jordan's community, Koinonia in Georgia, gave birth to Habitat, Jordan was a pioneer in the civil rights movement in the 1940s and 1950s. Jordan would often preach as a guest in pulpits across the South. And after congregations heard his message of equality for all people of all colors, he was rarely invited back. On one occasion, he gave a sermon that called for the country to stop the practice of segregation. After the sermon, a lady came up to Jordan and said, My granddaddy was an officer in the Confederate Army, and he would not believe a word that you said about race relations. Clarence Jordan smiled sweetly, and he said, Well, ma'am, your choice is very clear then. You can follow your granddaddy, or you can follow Jesus. Clarence Jordan was a lot like Jesus in that sense. He was willing to let people hear the hard demands of his message and let them walk away if they found that his words were too troubling or too offensive. I rather like the words from Hebrews that we heard today. Life can be very hard. We face trials and tribulations. They're listed in that passage. We find ourselves in the midst of confusion and doubt and despair and we wonder even which way do we turn. We don't always know. But we're all invited to live by faith and keep running the race with faith and perseverance. It's not about affluence. It's not about appearances. It's not about achievement. It's not about who you were born to or what heritage is yours. It's about God's abiding love that comes from, a, from God and loves us far too much to leave us alone. It's about Jesus and Jesus' call to come and follow, lean with all our weight on Him, to trust our lives to God's abiding care, and to keep running the race, living by faith, and joining that great cloud of witnesses across the ages that's moving toward the full and promised reign of God That's about light and love and peace and joy and justice. And it's for us and it's for the whole world. Maybe today we can each commit our lives again to the ways of faithful following. And all that means leaning with our whole weight and looking for God's light and peace to emerge within us shaping our lives in the ways of discipleship and bringing wholeness and hope across the globe. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. We believe, O God, help our unbelief and move us closer to you and to the ways of discipleship following Christ our Lord. Amen.